What is up and welcome back to another episode of the Modern Mastery Podcast where we help you build yourself, build your business and join the new 1%. We've never had more information than we do now, yet chronic disease is the biggest contributor to death worldwide. And today I have on Dalton from Analyze and Optimize. His mission is to fight back. They want to analyze and provide you with the information necessary to optimize your health with nutrition and lifestyle facts that you can apply directly to your life. This guy is a great dude. I've seen him around. I watch his YouTube channel. It's a great channel, by the way. Uh, check it out after this podcast. But during this discussion, we talk about the benefits of walking and how it relates to stress. We talk about nuance in the health and self-improvement space. We talk about the undefined meaning of health and also the efficacy of seed oils, coffee, meat, and other somewhat controversial foods that you would incorporate in your diet. We had a great conversation. I hope you enjoy this episode. Before we get into it, let's talk about Modern Mastery HQ. MMHQ is a tight-knit community of people that want a streamlined way to starting and growing an online business so you can monetize the things that you love learning about in your free time, create more free time for yourself, and work from anywhere in the world. Building a business is a necessary step to self-actualization. It gives you the freedom and resources like money to further pursue your purpose and fuel your development. That's the second part of MMHQ is personal development. In the world of entrepreneurship, this is a must. You don't have a boss telling you everything you need to do. You need to become self-sufficient. You need to master your mind, body, and spirit. We help you do all of these things through trainings, articles, step-by-step -step action plans to implement the advice from those, and live calls for personalized help because your situation is unique. So if you want to steal our proven processes, strategies, and systems for becoming a sovereign individual, go to join.modernmastery.co and join today. And if you want to skip all of the do-it-yourself stuff and join an intensive six-month program that guarantees business and personal success, we have the mastery program as well. And you can apply to that at join.modernmastery.co slash program. And links to both of those will be in the show notes. Now, last but not least, I have a few favors to ask that cost a whopping $0.00. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe or follow. It's one button click away, and it, it truly helps support the growth of this podcast. And then you can leave a rating letting us know what you thought. You can tag us at Modern Mastery on Twitter or at Modern Mastery HQ on Instagram or tag Joey or I with a link to this episode and some kind words. If you do all three, send us a DM and we'll have something special for you in return. So without further ado, let's dive right into this episode of the Modern Mastery Podcast. All right, we are live. Brother, I don't even know your name. What's your name? <laughs> if you want to give out your name. I know analyze and optimize across all socials, but... <laughs> yeah, um, Yeah. no, my, my name is Dalton. Um, I mean, I guess I could give like a little profile if that's... Yeah, yeah, get, get, give a profile. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, yeah, so my name is Dalton. Um, I just graduated uh, Tulane University with a degree in chemical engineering. And um, currently working right now, like my nine to five is uh, I work at a medical research lab, medical research specialist. So 
Damn. do sell animal experiments. Um, probably some of which we're going to get into today. Like it's related, um, which is, you know, I love it. And, um, I'm planning on pursuing a PhD in, uh, probably bio or biochemistry. And, uh, then I have this thing, <laughs> which is, uh, my, my YouTube channel, analyze and optimize. Um, we try to basically cover anything that has to do with health and well-being. And, um, you know, I think over the last probably six months to a year, we've really like found like our own niche. And, um, I think we're, you know, every, with every video, like it's getting better and stuff. So we're not like a, a ton of popularity. Um, but you know, I think, I think it's definitely getting there. I, I, I have so much confidence in it. Um, cause I, I think, I think it's really like just different from anything else out there. Um, but yeah, that's me. I love it, man. I love one, everything you said, because first we, a lot of people in our space, like, I, I don't know, the general self-improvement space, not necessarily the health space, but the general self-improvement space, everyone has polarized views on college, right? Especially PhDs, right? It's like, oh, don't go to college, start your own business, do whatever the fuck you want. So what is your take on that? Because you're pursuing a PhD, you're clearly in a job that does require a degree, I'm assuming. So what what's your take on that college as a whole? doesn't have to be super in depth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I definitely, I definitely have some thoughts on this. Um, I think, I think as like a general rule in the sort of self-improvement space, uh, if you want to call it that, is that things like nuance doesn't sell, um, mm. period. And I'm trying to make nuance sell. I know you're trying to make Same. nuance sell and yes. you're, and you're succeeding with it, of course. Um, but nuance doesn't sell. And you know, it's easy to say, oh, fuck college. <laughs> like, it's totally not worth it. Just burn it all down. Like, it sucks. And, you know, there are some things uh, in this world that that mindset is probably warranted for. I don't think college is one of them, though. Um, I think, you know, college and like anything in life, it's, it's what you it's what you make out of it. So I was fortunate enough, you know, I came in knowing what I wanted to do. You know, I knew my strong suits were math and, and science. And I knew that I wanted to be an engineer because it was like problem solving. And that's, and that's kind of my, my forte, if you will. And I think the engineering degree is, is a little bit different because it teaches you more like how to think than what to think really. And mm. I think that's like the biggest determinant. If you can, if you can get a degree that teaches you not just like the tangible, like concepts in the curriculum, but also, you know, just having a sort of different mindset, bring, bringing different perspectives and whatnot. I think that's really valuable. And that's probably not something that you would get um, outside of a university. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's for everyone. I think probably a lot of people that, uh, I knew in college and that are in college probably don't benefit from it and, and could have gone to trade school or, you know, could have tried to, to start their own business or, or whatever the case may be. Cause I think a lot of it has been, you know, co-opted unfortunately. And some of the stuff that they teach, uh, especially in like liberal arts, I, um, cause you know, you have to take those requirements. Uh, I definitely don't, I definitely don't like how, uh, some of that stuff is taught. I would, I would do it differently if I had a Dalton university, but I don't. Um, so yeah, that would, that would be it. And then a higher education is, is a little bit different. Um, because like a, as a PhD, like it, it is school, but like your most of it is research. And, um, you know, I look at that as more independent and I want to be able to do something where I can create new ideas and like further, uh, our understanding of different things in, in the body and whatnot. 
And that's like really like what a PhD like allows you to do. So that's, that's how I look at it. You know, I have some outspoken thoughts about, uh, the MD degrees. So basically like clinical doctors, um, you know, I have, I have a lot of love for a lot of doctors that I know, I know online, I know personally, I do have a lot of love for a lot of those doctors, but I've also had my own bad experiences with doctors. So I'm, you know, I'm a little biased, but I've also had great experiences and I, but I also know a ton of people who have had horrible experiences with doctors where they said, you know, there's nothing we could do for you. <laughs> Take this pill and that's it. And they said, you know, fuck off. Like, I'm just going to go and, and try my own thing and, and see what happens. And, you know, a lot of those people end up getting, if not completely cured, a lot better quality of life, which is, you know, kind of to me speaks a lot about the medical system as a whole. But yeah. that's what I think. I like that perspective. As you said, nuance doesn't sell, but it's like, I feel like it's gotten to the point possibly with both of us where possibly with both of us, where we've tried the non nuance perspective and it just feels like shit. Like, I don't know. I've, I've tried being very polarizing according to what I believe and what I feel like will move people in a better direction to question the things that I'm talking about. But at the same time, it's like, I don't fully believe this. Like there has to be some discussion here. And since my main platform for now is Twitter, that's what's most rewarded. I would say more than most platforms because the long form content is few and far between. So with that, when you mention us trying to sell nuance, do you think that's more of a long-term game? Like something that we're going to have to put more time, more effort, more more nuanced pieces out there that kind of discuss the intersections of these polarized beliefs and shining awareness on them to, how would you say it? Build, build a, build an audience that understands exactly what we're talking about here and trusting us over the people that are just saying things to get their money. And that's kind of an absolute, but you get yeah. the point. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think a key point is that like it can happen and it definitely is like a long-term thing. So I don't know if you're familiar with like someone like Lane Norton, yes. but um, he, yeah, he's big in the, uh, he's big in the fitness scene. He's got like 200 plus thousand subs. He's got a very successful business and everything. Um, but he is nuanced, you know, he, he digs into studies and he, he talks about the details. He, and you know, I don't agree with a lot of what he says. I don't agree with his approach cause he's, he's kind of aggressive, but I, I like, I like him and I like his content. Um, but he is nuanced and I think that's an interesting case study that shows that, you know, it can sell. Um, how do you sell it? I'm still in the process of trying to figure that out. But I think, um, I think probably what is going to be important is that you connect with people and like, you understand, you got to say like, look, everything <laughs> in the world is set up to be polarizing black and white, you know, left versus right, anti-vax versus vax you know, you name it, pro-choice versus pro-life, any issue, you name it, like people, everything is set up for it to be polarizing. And it's easy to just get up there and say like, yeah, like I believe in this side and I'm the leader and like, you know, rally with me. Um, and it's easy to do that. But I think what people, what people like us can really do to help is like, get people to understand that like that approach sucks. <laughs> like it's not, getting, it's not getting us anywhere. And, um, I don't think it ever will um, just because it requires like these issues are complicated and everyone has the same goal. You know, it's not like 
it's not like people that don't want to take the vaccine are like, oh, like, so you want like all these people to die? Like, obviously not. <laughs> like, but people, that's just how it's marketed to us. And it's, it's stupid to me. Um, but I think that's the, the most important thing is, is being able to say like, look, all these issues tend to be super polarizing and divided and look where it's gotten us. It's gotten us nowhere. And being able to have productive conversations with people who think not similarly is, is really key. So, I mean, like, and that's why I think that's one of the main things that Twitter is great for. Cause people, people like to rip on Twitter. Obviously it has its flaws. Obviously there's a lot of toxic bullshit that goes on on Twitter, but, um, you know, it can be, it can be an incredibly valuable tool for, you know, reaching out to other people making connections and then actually having productive conversations if you decide to go that route. So obviously like the character limit is, is, you know, a restriction, but you can have threads where you have, you know, actual conversations with people where both sides, if both sides are, you know, trying to, trying to engage and actually just trying to figure out the truth rather than trying to be right. That's where, you know, we can really move forward and address some of these issues accordingly. Um, but that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. I feel like social media, well, this, I, I would say this is pretty close to fact, but social media, it, it has the propensity to boost those polarizing opinions, right? It's engagement. It gets a lot of discussion. A lot of people get in there and start arguing, but I am very faithful in the fact that people do have these nuanced beliefs. Like the people like us, if I want to hear what you did before you started on social media. But when I was on social media, it's like I wasn't the guy that commented or got into any discussion. And I think that's how a lot of people are. Like some people don't even like stuff or engage with stuff. It's more so you read something and then you sit back. You might not mull over it. You may accept that opinion or uh, internalize it a bit too much. But I do think that the the problem is blown out of proportion in terms of a lot of this stuff. Like, I do think that a lot of people have a very nuanced take on the vaccine. Like you go and talk to a friend that possibly consumes too much social media and you ask them, Hey, do you care if I get the vaccine? And they'll probably be like, well, I, I think you should take it, but I don't really care. And that's been my experience many times with a lot of different topics. It's you talk to someone in real life or multiple people in real life and they just don't fucking care. Like some of them are going to be hyper polarized, but in general, I've noticed that people don't fucking care. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just made to seem like an issue on social media and everyone starts to, I think there's a separation there. There's a separation between like social media and what people actually believe and what people talk about engage with and engage with online because they're behind a screen and they can just say whatever they want. And according to like where their mindset is at that specific time in accordance to that idea, that was a mouthful. But what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think, I think like uh, online culture in general is, is toxic for that because like, you know, you have like, uh, likes on Twitter. So it's like, if you get into an argument, it really just becomes like, okay, like which one of our replies can like get more likes? Mm. Like who's the audience like egging on more. And it just, it's like almost like theater to me. It's like, no one, like if you go into an argument, like thinking like, oh, I have to win this. Like, it's not about like actually finding a productive solution. It's about, oh, I have to win. 
then the argument is already pointless. Like you guys may as well just fight at that point. Like if that's what it's about, because I mean, it's literally just like an electronic, like dick measuring contest at a certain point. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous to me. So, I mean, you're right. I mean, a lot of people in, in real life, like, you know, like I said, we all have the same goals. We all want to like be wealthy and be happy and, you know, save lives if possible. But it's like the media will make it seem like, oh, like, and it's really disgusting sometimes. Like they'll they'll have these things where it's like, oh, like dying wishes was like get vaccinated. It's like, first of all, I'm ninety percent sure that that's bullshit. <laughs> but it's just like, it's like how yeah, you're really gonna use that? Like it's fucking yeah. sick. Like that's not that's not that's not like something that a normal human being does. But anyway, yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of my take on the whole thing is that like we can we can have like productive conversations like this it's just that online culture and social media like they reward you for being the asshole that you know Mm. says oh i got you like i knew this and you didn't like and then like you get all your likes and like you know you ride off into the sunset and you you won Mm. like it's over like you know this problem solved (laughs) but that's (laughs) it's not that's not how it is in real life so but we should give more people credit because in real life, you're right. Like people, people just want to know what is best. People, people don't really care, but like people aren't as hyper polarized as, as you know, media and social media would make it seem like most people, even if you can't like have like a civilized conversation with them, they're not going to be like, Oh, like I'm literally never going to talk to you again because of this one thing. Like, yeah. We just, I feel like we need to give people more credit at a certain point. I agree. So I, I would agree with you, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the, possibly not the way of the future, but I, I feel like people are getting tired of it. And I do think that the world is moving in that more nuanced way. And the people that understand that and promote that on social media will start to stand out from the rest. Like the the only people that I follow now on like YouTube or the people's opinions that I will subject myself to are mostly long form content, like actualize.org. I don't know if you've seen him, his actualization stuff, but his videos are like three hours long every single time. And it's just him talking to a camera and I believe it's unscripted and he just goes off and like dives into little interest kisses of topics. And it's, it's really enlightening, but then, my problem with that is like, okay, how do I take these ideas that I've experienced, that I like, that have given me inspiration and put them in a way that's engageable on Twitter, right? That's that's the overwhelming battle that I face on a daily basis. It's like, how, how can I take these ideas, be nuanced with them in 280 characters? Or if I'm not extremely nuanced, how can I present a perspective that will get people to think about their actions. But as a whole, and just to shift gears off this nuanced topic, because we could talk about it forever and dive into <laughs> some health related topics, because man, I have, I have some questions for you, but <laughs> the first question, the first question, the title of a YouTube video that I, of yours that I haven't watched, but it stood out to me. What is health? Oh, 
You know, not many people have watched that one. <laughs> I should, I should Honestly, watch. I think I think that kind of speaks to it. I mean, obviously with YouTube, you can chalk it up to the title, thumbnail, whatever. But I I think it, I think it does speak volumes because no one actually like thinks about that question. Mm. Like it's kind of just like oh like if you're a vegan like oh like this doesn't have animals in it so it's healthy or it's like if you're a carnivore this doesn't have plants so it's healthy <laughs> like like. And then, you know what, it's crazy because I consider myself like a pretty smart guy, but I was a carnivore for like two plus years and I literally thought that and like it just never occurred to me until like relatively recently, like we need to like define what that means before we can really dive in and and take action. Because it's like in, in any other sort of field, like you wouldn't just go in blindly and just start doing shit (laughs) like you would have some kind of you would have some kind of framework where you could say okay like this is the goal this is how things work and um in that video i mean it's pretty like abstract it's kind of out there and i think that's like why i didn't get a bunch of attention it's also just like like people like aren't really thinking about that but um i basically describe how it's really just to me it's about quality of life um that's like the biggest determinant because yeah, I remember there was a one point when I was when I was in low carb and I was like fasting and all this kind of stuff. And I was doing it. And I was like, I know this is healthy. Like, even like if I'm suffering right now, I was like, I know this is healthy. Like, but there was always that cognitive dissonance there. That's like, is it really healthy if I like feel like shit while I'm doing it? Mm. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could say like, yeah, like exercise is like pain and then you and then you get better after that. But I would argue that like, you know, if you hate exercising, you don't want to do it. There's probably a reason for that. Like your body is way smarter than people give it credit for. Like if you, if you are too tired to get up and, you know, have even like make yourself breakfast or something simple like that. And unfortunately we're, we're in a state where our health is so poor around the world, but especially in the United States where that's literally like a, a problem that people have. Like they can't get out of bed. Like they're so depressed and they're so lethargic and you're going to ask people like that to get up and do like four sets of eight on a bench as heavy as they can like first thing in the morning like are you out of your mind like we need to we need to seriously reevaluate where it all comes from and I'm gonna um I'm gonna bring up one guy who I'm sure a lot of my followers are aware of but his name is Dr. Ray Pete I'm not sure if you're super familiar with his work but um basically I mean he's like almost 90 now, but he's still kicking it. (laughs) He's a very smart guy and he's a, he's a PhD. He got a PhD in biology, but he really builds off of what has honestly been like a hundred plus years of work on what is called like the bioenergetic view of, of health, which Mm -hmm. is really, um, addressing like health and stress, like need to be defined, uh, relative to one another or energy and stress rather need to be defined uh, relative to one another because every every disease, and even if it's not tangible, something like diabetes, like even if it's just like, I kind of like have some brain fog, like I kind of just get annoyed at people too much. Like someone cuts you off and you like can't get out of your head for the next hour. You know, that's a health problem and people just don't even think about that. Um, but the way that they define it is really that health um, is defined by proper energy metabolism. So the ability to take your food and turn it into energy, your ability to do that is really going to determine what your what happens with your health. And then if you can't do that, you don't you either don't have the proper food, or something's impeding the progress in order to extract the energy from that food. That's what stress is. 
Mm-hmm. So hmm. that's like, and all diseases you can you can think of are related to stress and to energy in some capacity, which is what I'm gonna end up studying when I uh, when I when I go to grad school, just metabolism in general. But I think that's like a much more useful approach to solving health problems because you can say, okay, like I feel like garbage, but why? Well, maybe if I focus on my energy, I I focus on lowering my stress. If those are the two key things, then you can say, okay, well, what foods are going to lower my stress? What activities are going to lower my stress? What daily routines are going to increase my energy? What, um, you know, even, you know, as, as polarizing as this can be even, but what pharmaceuticals could I use that could address either sides of that either side of that equation? Um, and if you have like a roadmap like that, and you're thinking I need quality of life, and I need all these other things, health isn't some random like number you can look at on blood. Like, oh, okay, I'm healthy. Like, if you're healthy, you should know that. You know, it should mm-hmm. permeate you in every every sense of it. Like, you should be able to talk to someone, and they'll walk away being like that guy like has it figured out like he's healthy that and that's what i think about really and like we were discussing like things like instagram and twitter have so skewed that because that's not like a, a hot selling point it's way easier to like take off your shirt and be like look at how jacked i am like i'm so healthy like listen <laughs> to me but me sitting here giving a 10 minute monologue on what i think health is and relating it to some scientists from 1900 like no one really cares about that so Again, it, it is it is difficult to, to get it across, but I think it's important that even if you don't agree with, say, like, Ray Peets or, like, a bioenergetic view, because we're never going to fully agree with someone. Like, I disagree with him on a bunch of different things, and I disagree with everyone that I talk about on a bunch of different things. But if you have some sort of framework, it doesn't have to be energy, it doesn't have to be stress, it doesn't have to be animals or plant foods or whatever, like, sort of framework there is out there. I would just encourage people to have some sort of roadmap, you know, to have some sort of plan, at least have a thought in your head of what it feels like to be healthier, like what you think that health is in general. And that is going to ultimately be much more productive than just carbs are bad. So I'm not going to eat them. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, dude, <laughs> you're speaking my language because not, I feel like not too many people know about this yet. Some do because of just twitter but i'm writing a book and it's kind of a spiritual take everyone's talking about it man when's when's it gonna drop i'm i'm only (laughs) i'm only like 20 30 pages in but it's coming together really fast because like i've decided to sit down and actually do it every morning but you're you're speaking my exact language like just to give a, a general overview it's it's based on it's called the art of focus there's three pillars. There's focus, energy, and experience. So where you place your focus, and I, I, I talk like there's many, many things I talk about related to this. But in this case, it's like a, a macro focus being a higher quality of life, testing and experimenting, or that focus leading to higher energy, focusing on the things that bring you that energy, whether it be mental, physical, whatever it is, right? And then that dictates the experience you have, overall experience in this case, macro experience, where now you understand through your direct experience, whether it's extremely truthful or not, 
you can take that feedback and decide what to do next. You can decide what is the best solution for you related to that experience. And there's a lot of stuff to talk about there, but it's, it's going to be in the book. And I, I just want to say like, that's, that's kind of my exact philosophy from like a broad range perspective of most things in life, not only health, but fucking everything. So I like that. I like your take on that. Absolutely. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like that's so valuable. Like it's, it's a great topic to pick for a book because nobody talks about it, but it's, I mean, what could be more important in your entire life than like knowing what the fuck your goal is like exactly i mean it's so it's so easy to to think about in terms of like oh like i need to study to like get a good grade on this test or like whatever like it's easy to to visualize things like that but when it comes to like your overall life like what it, what are the things that you're doing in your everyday life consistently that you're focusing on like what what is the end goal there like because if you're just kind of and I, I know a lot of people do this but if you're just like a mindless zombie kind of like wandering around like not really you're just kind of like doing whatever you feel like like i don't really know if that's the most productive way to go about life <laughs> yeah and i'm sure you obviously agree with that but yes no i mean it's not, it sounds amazing so i'm definitely excited for that oh yeah i appreciate that man and i talk about mindless zombies in like the first the second paragraph <laughs> So we're good there. <laughs> yeah. But okay. consciousness, man. Consciousness is, is something that's like slept on. Cause it's like, what are you like a fucking hippie? Like you're talking about consciousness. <laughs> yep, but, exactly. But it's literally, it's detailed in the scientific literature, like what consciousness is. Because if you wanted to find consciousness, you can be like, okay, well, I don't really even know where to start, but I know what being unconscious is. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So you can just kind of, you can kind of compare those things. So there have been some really cool studies. um, And I know this is a tangent, but (laughs) there have been some really cool studies in like uh, anesthetics, like what makes an anesthetic, like what makes it so that it makes you unconscious. And then you can kind of like reverse engineer that and say, what makes you conscious? Like what makes you more present? What allows you to have more complex thoughts, like put things, put different things together. Um, and that's that's something that like I want to do for a video one day. Uh, unfortunately, I'm a little backlogged with all of the uh, virus hysteria. <laughs> so I mean, I, I have I have I have a ton of ideas that I want to get to, but that's definitely one of them. So it's and it's not and that's honestly like one thing that I've realized from being in this space a lot is that if you have like a gut feeling, like a lot of these things that are kind of like esoteric or like hippie nonsense, like actually have roots in the scientific literature like it's pretty crazy to think about so like before the show we were talking about how um like going on walks like it's like i need to do that i need to go outside i need to take my walk right so as it turns out like walking in a city environment actually does lower your stress hormones because being outside in general tends to have an anti-stress property but walking outside in nature lowers your stress hormones significantly more than people that walk in a city environment and that's like, that's really powerful, A, to just know that so that if you're going to go on a walk, like make sure you do it in nature if possible. <laughs> but also second, it kind of just goes to show that, you know, you would probably feel that like you would probably just say like, yeah, like I always feel be- like I would way rather like walk in nature. Like I just feel better after than if I had just walked around like my, my neighborhood block or whatever. 
and like you would probably feel that but you'd be like uh eh, like whatever it's it's probably nothing like but most thoughts like that that i have actually have like a backing in the scientific literature so i can give you another example there was one paper that talked about um authoritarian uh parenting types and i was like you know i have like a gut feeling that because i've met a ton of horrible like authoritarian parents and i'm as i'm sure you have yes. throughout your time and i was like i just have like a weird feeling that like that probably is like a bad outcome on like children's health and like that's probably like impossible to study but i'm just gonna like i so i was just noodling around in pubmed and then i find a study that's literally like yeah like authoritarian parents like children have like a significantly higher risk of type 1 diabetes than parents who had other types of styles and it's like okay well you can't say correlation is causation but the fact that they're even studying it goes to show that you know that's science in its purest form is like making an observation and then saying hey let's let's take a look let's see if this is actually something and mm. that unfortunately has that sort of art of science has gotten a little bit lost in my opinion unfortunately damn I like that. And we should talk about that. But I want to mention the intuition thing. I call it tuning the gut <laughs> in the book based <laughs> off of your experiences, like letting, like actually listening. I don't know if you say listening to your body, but listening to your intuition because of how, I don't know if it's the subconscious, but you're, you, you build up these experiences and it helps you better dictate like what you should do in the future based on the feelings and other things that you've experienced throughout that time but you said the art of science now i've read a few things about this i am currently currently reading um the god part of the brain that's what it's called sounded super interesting so i'm like why not and it it mentions all of the bias and conditioning and other things that can be shown in these papers and it's really dependent on who's writing them uh, who's doing the research where that like all of the person's inputs throughout their entire life and how it dictates what they write in that research, et cetera, et cetera. So do you think there's a way around that? Is there an actual problem there that you can see? And what is that problem? And how, how is that, how do we use that practically like going about looking at the research or listening to the research? Um, well, I would say the first step is actually doing that <laughs> because a lot of people will just take a media headline and say, oh, study says this, like, let's go. Like, that's it. Right. Mm. Um, but that's that's not how it works. Uh, this is a, this is a great topic to talk about. So I'm, I'll be sure to indulge. Um, I would say um, the art of science has gotten lost. And I would say a lot of that is due to industry and due to media just needing like a nice like here it is like this is this is what it is like and it's like we were saying it's easy to market that you know it catches people's attention and whatnot very few people are actually like digging through the papers so like one thing that people you you probably heard people say like oh yeah you can find a study that says anything which like is kind of true but i don't i hate when people say that because it's like no, like people can say whatever they want to about the study. That's true. You could probably literally find like the author saying anything in any study. That's probably true. But the data is what you have to go off of. Like mm. when 
when if you're debating someone, I don't even want to say debating. If you're talking science with someone about a study, and you like pull up a quote from the author, which I do a lot in the videos, like because I think it's important. But I I do that because in my case, if the author mentions it, it's like that's insane. Like I was not expecting them to mention it because I'm typically going against the grain. That's just how it is. Try not to be contrarian, um, just for the sake of it. But that's just how my thought process is at this particular point in time, we'll say. Mm. Um, but you, you know, it's, it's easy, it's easy to say like, oh yeah, like the, the literature is just so messy, like science in general is like, you know, all these like different things happen and like, it's like impossible to keep track of. So like, what's the point? But that's like, just not true. I mean, things have to be consistent in life. Like, it's not like, like if, if I do one experiment here and I write a paper on it, with one title and then you do the same exact experiment and get a dip. Well, if you do the same experiment <laughs> and you get a different result and you write a different title with your conclusion, most people would look at that and just say like, Oh, well, like, I guess we just don't know. Like sometimes it does this, sometimes it does that. But that's just like, not how the universe works. Like things are consistent. Like Einstein is like most famous quote is like, you know, if you're doing something repeatedly and you expect a different result, then you're insane or something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and like, it's, it's so true because you know, like you need to, if we did the same quote unquote experiment and we got different outcomes or we have different study titles, well, what happened is a different interpretation of the results is, do we use different measuring devices or, or methods of, of measuring our results? Did we do a different statistical analysis? Um, you know, do we select a different population? You know, there's all these different factors that nobody talks about. So, um, you know, and it's, it's, that's why I find like, I like to call it like study dueling, like on Twitter. Like I find it like very useless a lot of the times, <laughs> unless you're like really bringing in like some new information because no one's going to like actually sit on Twitter and like critique the methods like in, in detail. They're just going to like throw throw in a link people are gonna read the title and be like oh yeah like he's totally right like whatever but that's just like that's just not how it works um and unfortunately that's just the culture that we live in it's like it's consumer culture and you know it's hard to to sell you know a three-page section about the type of of methods that we did because it's not entertaining but most of the time, that's the most important information in it. You know, the authors, there's an incredible amount of bias. Like, and I just recorded an updated video on, on the mask issue, which I'm sure you'll like. But, um, but I, I said, I even said this in the video, like, you know, the COVID literature is incredibly difficult to sift through if you don't like actually know what you're looking for. Mm. Because clearly there's an inherent bias and there's some kind of agenda to support all of the methods that are being done and to demonize the ones um, that, you know, are seen as alternative. Um, shout out to Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's clearly like a, an inherent bias and like people, people forget that like these are, these are people writing these studies. It's not like, it's not, they're totally unbiased. Like, you know, it could be, it could be anybody. I can disagree like with whatever they say in the paper. I might not be able to argue with their data because, you know, it's just a fact, but you know, you can argue with what they're saying. And a lot of times, like what they say totally does not match up with the data. So this is something that I discussed in the most recent mask video, but they're like, yeah, we found clear evidence of benefit 
for like community mask wearing. And in that study, first of all, cloth masks showed zero effect on transmission whatsoever. Second, the surgical masks only did in the 50 plus year old cohort. And with hmm. that, they went ahead and calculated what the death risk reduction would be. And they found out that like, literally it, it's called like the number needed to treat. Like, so the amount of people that need to wear a mask for a certain period of time in order to save one life was 32,000. And, and it's like, if you actually read through the data, you're like, well, that's like pretty negligent, uh, negligible. If you're thinking about it on a population level, like 32,000 people have to save, have to wear masks to save one life from COVID alone. That's not even talking about total deaths, right? But, you know, if you just read the, the front page, it would say, oh, we found clear evidence of benefit. And then, you know, no one's going to go to the supplementary table of page 68 and read that <laughs> and be like, oh, okay. So they're kind of just, you know, writing to appease whoever uh, the journal is. Because that's another thing, like, you want your stuff to get published, it has to go through a publisher of, you know, these big name journals, their, their editors and their peer reviewers, like, people talk all the time about how broken the peer review system is, because it, you know, it just enforces groupthink, and, you know, they don't like dissenting opinions. Mm. So even if your data says otherwise, you got to be politically correct in what you're actually writing. And that's a massive issue. Mm. Dang, dude. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Uh, I don't know. I, I have a lot I could say about that. I, I think it's just, I think the main lesson here is one, just don't tie yourself to one specific headline or something that someone else said, or I don't know, do your due diligence. And I, I feel like that alone is a lost art in this world. So one one thing that I do want to talk about, and that is talked about a lot on Twitter, and I've slowly started to notice that people talking about this more and being very polarizing about it has made me want to question it and kind of avoid it. That's just my nature. And this is <clears throat> seed oils. Because <laughs> somebody told me, I, I'm, a, I'm a Chipotle fanatic, okay? I, I like the... Oh, man, you're probably disappointed. <laughs> I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed, but at the same time, it's like, I feel fucking great. But here, here's the thing. So I like Chipotle because, to me, one, Matt Ogus turned me on to it, if you know who Matt Ogus is. OG fitness oh my YouTuber. God. Yeah, That's a real OG. Matt yeah. Ogus, my goodness, yeah. yeah That's he, like, like 10 years ago, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he would yeah, eat no. Chipotle every day, right? And so I yeah. kind of hopped on that train. Because it has decent macros. Uh, I don't know. It, it has like rice, beans, veggies, meat, things that in, and you can manipulate it in a way that would fit your macros. IAFYM aside, just calories, macronutrient composition in general, it seemed like the good choice, right? And when people are talking about seed oils and after I found out that Chipotle, some of the meats and other things are cooked in seed oils or with seed oils. And what doesn't register with me is the fat content in those things like steak, the steak there that is supposedly cooked in feed oil, seed oils has very low fat as one of the macronutrients. So it's like, okay, how much does it actually have? How much does that actually mean now that you're attacking my Chipotle? 
I want to dive deeper into this and understand how much of a problem it actually fucking is. So on the grand scale of things, like I understand seed oils are bad, but in relation to people not hitting protein requirements, not uh, on a some form of calorically restricted diet, not overeating, not consistently gaining weight because one of the videos that I watched from Lane Norton on inflammation and him diving into the data there is that inflammation is mostly caused by an excess of calories from what he could tell, right? And when calories are equated, when uh, like, and the difference between carbs and fats, like there's negligible difference in inflammation throughout the entire body. And this is, uh, I forget the there's like the local inflammation and whatever. So back to seed oils, what is your take on it? And is it as big of a deal as people are making it seem through their polarized opinions? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, um, um, I mean, look, a good rule of thumb, I would say, is that if you're too busy stressing about what to eat like that is going to impact your health more than the food itself. That's the first thing I would say. And I don't think many people would disagree with that. I mean, I'm sure some, I'm sure some people would, <laughs> but <laughs> I think most people would agree with that. And you know, that's, that's just one more thing that I've learned from, from Ray Pete at all is that, you know, stress is a real killer and trying to lower that, is, is the most important thing subjectively on a biochemical level through your food, whatever the case may be. Um, the reason that I say, and like, I don't know, you might've seen me like joke about this. It's not really a joke though on Twitter <laughs> when I say like seed oils, like not even once, mm. like, cause like, like the old, like whatever commercials and not because, not because it's like addicting, like a drug, but because they produce, um, they can, they can undergo reactions in the body and they can turn into toxins um, that are unique to the polyunsaturated fats. So this can actually happen with fish oil as well. So mm. I'm also not an advocate for, for taking things like that. And there, it's very interesting to talk about those too, because a lot of like, most people are like, okay, like, you know, I, I get that seed oils are bad, but fish oil, fish oil can't be bad. What do you mean? And it's like, <laughs> it's really two sides of the same coin there so i feel like if you if you're kind of if you're against one like you might i'm not gonna say you have to be against both but they share a lot of the same properties anyway but when i when i say seed oils not even once i mean that and that like they accumulate so they've done studies where they can track in your tissues the the different amount of fats and they've seen that the half-life for linoleic acid which is the main fatty acid in the seed oils that can stay in your tissues for two to four years. So it's like, look, the thing I said about stress absolutely applies. Like, dude, we all go out to eat. We're all exposed to it at some point. You know, we can't just live in a bubble. We need to live our lives, of course. And that's the most important thing because what's the point of being healthy if I can't, you know, go out and, and have a dinner with my boys or, or whatever? It's not, it's, not, it's not even worth it at that point. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I would definitely say to try to limit your intake of it as much as is reasonable for your lifestyle relative to other uh, components of the diet or other 
aspects of your life, it's probably near the top, <laughs> if I'm going to oh, be shit. honest. Um, yeah, I mean, look, man, it's... um. And and for people to for people to dismiss the notion that you know these are problematic in our health is I just I just never really understood it because they were realistically they were introduced into the food supply a little over a hundred years ago and they really started to to take an uptick in around the fifties and sixties and we have a whole video about that um, but that basically is the exact timeline that we have for every chronic disease mm. excuse me um so i mean we have we have pretty good historical evidence even if you don't if you, even if you want to say like okay the whole paleo thing like whatever we were eating millions of years ago that is not really relevant to today but you know i can say like okay a thousand years ago we were eating bread we were eating sugar we were eating flour we were eating butter steak we were eating all this stuff and yeah like some people like might have had like a little bit of extra weight or whatever but chronic disease is literally like I call it an epidemic. It's like so far past that, like it's actually absurd. So one funny thing from the last vaccine video that I made was that I was um I remember I was like yeah I, I remembered that someone had tweeted yeah like uh, not on the CDC reported that ninety four percent of all COVID deaths had on average three underlying comorbidities. You're like, wow, that is an incredible stat, right? Mm -hmm. So I go to look for it. And it was like, it's like, I, I literally couldn't make this up if I tried. I, I look at the updated version of it. And it's actually 95% of all COVID deaths had an on average, four underlying conditions. So <laughs> it went from 94% having three to 95% having four. Like when I checked it, I was like, you can't make that up. So to say that chronic disease is an huh. epidemic is a massive understatement. They're like, and that's what, that's like one of the main things that I try to get across. It's like people don't realize how sick this country is and the world in general, but I'm primarily focused on the U.S. right now. Like it is unbelievably sick and I'm not going to chalk it all up to seed oils. There's a lot of things in the environment, you know, we can talk about EMF, we can talk about endocrine disruptors. I think birth control is a toxin. And, you know, I think a lot of this stuff like Adderall is getting handed out like candy. I think all of these play like a massive role in what we're seeing. But, you know, I, I would say like for people to say that saturated animal fats are the ones causing diseases mm. like that literally just makes no sense based on that one fact that we literally didn't have seed oils 150 years ago. So you would then have to argue that throughout all of human history, that chronic disease was more of a problem than it is right now. Mm. And that's just not, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know. Some, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of smart people that argue that. So I'm not going to say it's like an open and shut case, but mm. you know, I try to, I try to keep an open mind, but that, that's at least how I look at it in regards to the thing that Lane said. Um, I think it's really important that uh, we keep it in perspective again, because you know, you can find, studies that that do say that that say like um so ba basically the, the whole theory is that linoleic acid uh is the precursor omega-6 fat gets converted into something called arachidonic acid and then that gets converted into certain inflammatory mediators hmm. so it is true that 
you know, you can't just put in more linoleic acid and you're just going to get more inflammation out on the other side. Like your body regulates these sort of things. Like it only becomes inflamed due to a stimulus. It doesn't just like, oh, like we have more substrate. So we're just going to make more of this. That would be like saying like, oh, you can just eat more protein and not go to the gym and you'll just put on a bunch of muscle. It's like the same mm. like sort of thought process, but that's, that's just not how the body works. Everything's regulated and everything responds to stimulus. So he is correct in saying that, you know, higher linoleic acid intake is not correlated to more prostaglandin synthesis. I think in, in most people, prostaglandin is the end inflammatory product that linoleic acid is the substrate for. But there are a couple problems with that. And one of them is the main problem that I see with seed oil research is that what they define as low and high intakes is way different from what you and me would define. So I would define uh, a low intake of linoleic acid as around one or 2% of your total calories. Mm. But the average American takes in around seven or 8% of their calories as little as one fatty acid alone, which is absurd for me to think about. Yeah. But if you think about it, if you look at populations now, you say, oh, well, people that consume more are like better off than the people that consume less. And it's like, yeah, but the people that consume less are still consuming 6%. And the people that are consuming more are consuming 12%. So it's yeah. like they're probably all above a threshold that we would consider a, an amount necessary in the diet. So that's one of the problems that I see in a study is that, look, let's say you need 4% of your calories as linoleic acid to max out your inflammation in prostaglandin synthesis at least. Well, if I take a study and I just feed people more, you're not going to see you're not going to see an increase, right? Cuz there's a threshold. Mm. That's one of the, that's one of the issues that I that I see with it. But I would agree with him that, you know, that's not how things work. It it does uh it does respond to stimulus, but one of the stimuli is the breakdown products of linoleic acid because they are literal toxins. Like my best argument for it would literally be like there's, there's a certain type of fat in the mitochondria. I don't have to get too much into it, but it's called cardiolipin. And it's super crucial to energy production. It's like correlated with a bunch of different disease. Yada, yada, yada. Very, very important though. If this fat gets turned into the toxin because it has too much linoleic acid in it, the cell literally self-destructs. Like it goes through a process called apoptosis. It literally will kill itself saying like, we can't handle that. It's too much for us. Like, that's like the best argument I can make. It's like, dude, the body literally knows that these things are toxins and it responds to them accordingly. So mm. this is this is one of the things you can have inflammation in response to that. And that process is called oxidation or peroxidation for the fats. So if you have components of the body that go through that process, you know, because you have a buildup of linoleic acid in your tissues, and they go through this process of peroxidation and they turn into these toxins. Of course, your body is going to respond with, with inflammation of that, you know, and that's and that's been demonstrated for sure in studies. Hmm. So, again, it's it's like difficult to say because I don't know what studies he's referring to. I think I do, but I, I'm not entirely sure what what studies he's referring to. But I, my immediate questions are what were the low versus the high intake? And then what markers of inflammation are we measuring? Because, dude, the immune, if there's one thing that coronavirus has should have taught everyone is that the immune system is absurdly complex like even the the smartest like immunologists in the world haven't haven't put this thing together it is incredible it's one of the most incredible things about the body 
interacts with your gut and all these all these different types of things going on. So, you know, when people are like, oh, like it, it doesn't increase inflammation, I'm like, dude, yeah, and like this one marker out of probably like a hundred that half of which we don't even know about yet. So it's like it's it's difficult for me to say, but yeah, I mean, it's it's like it, you would ha- there's some sort of cognitive dissonance going on there, where mm. you would then you would ha- you would literally have to argue that we had more chronic disease before seed oils, which right is just wrong. Like, mm. so cool. that, I I mean I could talk all day about this stuff. So I'll jump <laughs> off there. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of the lane video, that that wasn't specific to seed oils. I think that was just inflammation in general. And uh, do you mind if I comment on that actually? Yeah. So Lane and a lot of the, and again, I have a ton of respect for Lane. I think he's awesome. I'm not like sitting here talking shit about him, (laughs) but (laughs) I think, um, an issue with something that he does and a lot of other people in the so-called evidence-based community, which is a label that I don't agree with because that would then imply that all of the other stances are not based on evidence, <laughs> which is not true. Um, but, um, they like to equate calories mm. and it's like, okay, that's fine, I guess. But like, it's really not because if you're saying like, oh, well, like overfeeding is like the only problem. That's like, okay, well, as an engineer, at least I'm like, well, what causes the overfeeding? That's what matters. So I think the ad libidum studies are the studies where they let people eat as much as they want. That's what really matters because at the end of the day, like if I have something in my, if I just have like a thing in my head that's like, I need to eat less, I need to eat less. At some point, my body is just going to be like, no, you need to eat more. Like we need, we need these nutrients. We need this energy. We need whatever, like your body's going to ultimately win that argument. So to me, the more important question becomes what allows us to rep- uh, regulate our appetite the best that leads to proper health and body composition and what on the other side of that equation, you know, what determines how much energy we burn. I think those are the most important things because saying, saying, Oh, like you just need to eat less than you burn is like saying like, Oh, I just need to like make more money than I spend and then I'll be rich. (laughs) It's like, that's not, it's true, but it's not super helpful. (laughs) Mm. Nice. You've given me some touch points that I need to research myself or at least like dive deeper into. I can, I can see the problem with seed oils now a bit more. So th- th- this is what like I, I like doing on these podcasts is talking about this stuff because as a person like trying to figure out what is not, I, I wouldn't even say like optimal by any means, but what is good practice for maintaining that high quality of life and health is a fucking huge part of that and has been a part of my life for a long time so i'd like to continue my education there so thanks thanks for that i, I appreciate the the in-depth discussion there but yeah so <laughs> I, let, let me tell you man i the, i last made um like a science based well i guess i guess you could say it was like a year ago where we made like a 38 minute video on it mm-hmm. um but the last like one that was strictly science and seed oils was at this point it was almost two years ago so to say oh, that wow. I've learned more in that time frame would be a massive understatement. So at some point I'm going to have to maybe just make like a, a seed oils, the movie or something. Because <laughs> I, just never, I just can never shut the hell up about them. Even like my friends are like, all right, dude, like we get it. Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> so 
I have a question for you then related to this. So when you go out, when you go out, you go eat wherever it may be, is there, I know a lot of people ask like, Oh, don't cook this in oil. Um, don't do this. Is there something that you do to at least like lessen that effect? Or when you go out, is it more so like I'm enjoying my time here? I barely like rarely do this. It's not going to have a huge effect or, are there tips? Oh no, I'm, I'm very annoying. Out? I'm very annoying to the waiters. <laughs> how do you, how do you do it? Because I need to be more annoying. Like sometimes I, I just yeah, don't know I what mean, to ask. But honestly, I just I what I'll, I'll typically do is I'll be like, look, like I'm gonna be annoying you. Like don't worry. Like I'll tip you well yeah. enough. Like it'll be worth it. Like I promise. And most of the time, like they'll be like, okay, like I get it. Like it's 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 fine. So, um, I, I would say I have a couple like rules of thumb. Probably, you know, always. I would say the biggest thing is just prioritizing like the leanest, like best source of protein that you can get. Because mm. dude, like if, if you follow the one commandment of bro science, which is one gram per pound of body mass, that, <laughs> out of all of the, it's so funny. Cause out of all of the things that I've learned that were wrong about bro science, that's the one thing that has literally always been right. <laughs> <laughs> a gram protein per pound of body weight like literally if you have one rule to live by it's that mm. but um in order to do that like dude i'm like a, i'm 175 180 pounds like and i i most days i only eat, uh, two meals so like mm. dude you know how hard it is to get 90 grams of protein in a meal oh yeah <laughs> out at a restaurant like it's damn near impossible so i would say like if you know that you're going out try to get like a higher protein meal either in the in the early day or like whenever your meals aren't that you're going out to eat that and then also try to get like the leanest protein possible oftentimes that's like not super realistic because like man like i want the ribeye i don't want this fucking duck breast or whatever (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so yeah but you got to be prepared for that you just got to prioritize protein throughout the day especially is, is the big thing um in terms of the seed oils there have been a couple times when like i saw them like cooking in oil like some of these like cook in front of your in front of you type places and Mm. i would literally just be like and this is this is one thing that will always work so like use it sparingly but um you could say like oh like i have an allergy to these oils so like (laughs) yeah don't fucking do it like (laughs) um and like obviously nothing like would happen to you like if you did have it like you wouldn't know but like dude if you say that like they will definitely not put anything yeah. Um, so that's like that's one thing, and I understand like people like aren't comfortable doing doing that, and like I'm a little bit more out there. That's something that I do. I understand most mm. people aren't gonna do that, but in general, I would just say like, look, try to go for the things that aren't gonna be drenched in a bunch of sauces and a bunch of, you know, just a restaurant milieu, if you will. I don't really like know how to describe it. a lot of these things, like marinades, different sauces, stuff yeah. like that. Just try to get something like as clean as possible. You can get like a steak or like a chicken breast. Or whatever. If you're a vegetarian, unfortunately, you can get like egg. Or, uh, you can get like a piece of fish. That's pretty. That's pretty benign. But a lot of the times, the problems come in, not just the seed oils, but a lot of these other additives. You have stuff like titanium dioxide and carrageenan. Like some of these, just like artificial like things that they put in as preservatives. Totally awful for your health. You want to avoid that. Um, and the best way to do that is to try to avoid those sauces and the marinades and etc. Mm. Nice. Yeah, it was actually interesting because like I was trying to find a way to maneuver my way through the fucking 
menus and all the shit that you can find on there, the terrible shit. And my roommate, who is now like working for me, he actually edits these podcasts. He used to work at Buffalo Wild Wings like a, a few years ago. And he actually mentioned, like, I, I can ask him and I can go to him, like, what is the what is the normal way of cooking this? And a lot of the time when it says grilled, when it is grilled, it is actually grilled. Like nothing added aside from the marinades and the other things on top. So I think that would be, that's a decent metric. I don't know how much you can trust that, but the grilled options are usually grilled with very minimal oil. And even like some of the like burgers, when they cook it on the, the flat iron, they don't use much at all. It's already... Yeah, because a lot of the times they're really fatty, so like you don't even need to. Right. But okay, th- this actually brings me to my next topic, kind of. I, I really want to talk about coffee. We, we could talk all day, man. Oh, I, I like this good. conversation. Hold on. We'll, we'll save coffee. But <laughs> I, I used to listen... So I've been in this industry, you could say, for a long time. Like I've been soaking in information. I am big advocate of the gym, of course. I like to try to eat healthy and like, I feel like my diet is better than 99% of the people out there. Which by the way is not really saying much. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) my diet could be absolute shit. I know you you eat clean, but I'm just saying it's just. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I agree. So my, my thing that I've has been bouncing around in my head, haven't done too much research. I don't know if there is too much research, but the difference between grass and grain fed beef, because I've, I, the one person that turned me on to it and introduced me to grass fed beef was this guy named Swolnormus. He does like daily podcasts. He promotes a very, I would say very healthy diet. I think you would actually enjoy some of his takes. He's more polarizing, but good dude all around. He, just would always say like grass-fed beef, grass-fed beef, grass-fed beef, opposed to grain-fed. And that you should, when ordering these things, especially the grain-fed, it is better to stay on the leanest possible side you can get. So like 97.3 or 93.7. But when it's grass-fed, something about storing the nutrients and the fat, you want to get the fattiest option. So like 85.15 something. Is is this something to worry about? Is there a huge difference there in how these affect you? Um, nutritionally, no. And that's like that's a mm. great that that should be that should be music to many people's ears. That nutritionally speak like in terms of just nutrients, like they're I'm not gonna say they're identical, of course, grass fed's a little bit better, but mm. um for most people, like it's not gonna make a ton of difference in terms of nutrients, that is. Now, if you want to talk about the different things that uh, happen with the cows um, and how that, how that affects things other than the nutrients, so like the toxins, then um, your guy has a point because I wouldn't say that it's – the reason that you would want to get the lean in terms of the grain fed is because toxins in the body tend to be stored in the fat. Mm. So if you're getting a grain finished animal, ideally you would get the leanest possible because – of things like atrazine and uh, glyphosate, et cetera, other possible uh, endocrine disruptors that maybe in the feed or God fucking knows where. Um, <laughs> but essentially, that that's like that that would be that would, would be a good rule of thumb. Um, one thing that I will say is that chicken and pork, you want to avoid the the fattier versions of that 
basically 100% of the time because, mm. I mean, look, I'm looking for this stuff and I can't find, like, pastured pork or or pastured chicken. Like, unless you really go out of your way to, to go to a farmer's market or, or maybe get something online. Like, the vast, vast majority of the time, chickens and pigs are fed, you know, corn, soy, other types of grains, and it's reflected in their fat tissue. So, actually, an interesting tidbit is that the... The, the, the fatty acid that is the, the most abundant in the seed oils, the one that you know we think is uh, problematic in, in super high amounts, the, the, which is linoleic acid. The highest source of linoleic acid in the American diet is actually chicken, chicken fat. Oh, um, not seed oils, which is unbelievable, but you know we eat a lot of fried chicken, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> and like other chicken, chicken wings, you know, stuff like that, bacon. All that kind of stuff is is much higher in linoleic acid than the beef. The beef is great because the way that the the digestive system of a cow is different than that of a of a pig or a chicken. Those are known as monogastric animals. They have one stomach. If you feed them grain, they're gonna have that reflected in their fat tissue. Cows are really interesting since they're ruminants. So anything similar to a cow, so that would be bison, uh, elk, venison, I believe. Um, goat, if you can get it, lamb, my favorite. Mm. All of these animals are what are known as ruminants. So they uh, go through a fermentation fermentation process in their guts and that creates more of the saturated fat and um, less of the, the, the linoleic acid. By the way, that's another, that's another thing that I was thinking about the other day. Like if you were to argue that seed oils are better than saturated fats and you also know that you have to give animals a garbage diet that they're not natural diet in order for them to have more linoleic acid in their tissues. Mm. You would then be arguing that <laughs> feeding an animal a garbage diet because it has more linoleic acid and less saturated fat is actually better for the animal than letting it have its natural diet. Like, mm. you see what I mean <laughs> with the cognitive dissonance? That's just one mm. of the things. Um, but that's, that's the main thing. If, if you're buying beef, if you're getting grain fed, try to go lean. Um, otherwise, I mean, if you get like a fatty steak at a restaurant or anything, it's not going to be too much of a problem. But you know, if you, if we try to get be optimal and that's what you do. And I think the most important thing is that no matter, like, just get what you can afford, you know, eggs mm. are amazing and they're cheap. You know, a lot of people can't afford getting a six or $7 organic pasture raised eggs, even if it would benefit them nutritionally, like, you know, I would, I would a hundred times out of a hundred get, get the dollar 50 from the gas station dozen of eggs before you get the, the crap plant-based, whatever, just <laughs> egg or, or whatever, whatever the hell they're calling yeah. it now. I don't, I don't even know, man. But I would say that's the most important thing. Like just get what you can afford when it comes to that kind of food. Um, but I think most people that can afford like a bacon or a chicken wing could afford a chicken breast or a pork loin, something mm. leaner. Nice. Okay, so in terms of that, what what are your favorite meat sources? Things that can be just had by anyone, my or, favorite that, meat or that you just eat. I'm curious. Oh, my favorite, <laughs> my favorite's lamb. I think lamb is absolutely delicious, and it's actually a little bit more nutrient dense than. Um, than cows are, than beef is, I should say. Um, so yeah, lamb, lamb is my favorite for sure. And 
you know, if you can, if you can find it, it's very difficult to find. My favorite food I've ever had in my life is lamb ribs because the fat, the fat that come from a lamb is delicious and they're very fatty. It's like having, it's like pork ribs, but it's just, it's just incredible. Like I'll just say that if if anyone listening to this can ever get that, just like, let me know how it goes. Shoot me a DM on Twitter. (laughs) Here's an email. Like I, I, I want more people's opinion on that because that was probably the best thing I've ever had in my life. Nice. Um, but other than that, I mean, I'm just I'm I'm beef. You know, sometimes I'll get bison. It tastes a little bit different. It's not it's not it doesn't do too much for me. But most of the time, I'm, I'm beef. Sometimes lamb. Um, that that's that's what I do in terms of land animals, at least. And then seafood, I'll typically do uh, shrimp or oysters because I'm. I mean, I'm not super concerned about it, but like if my rule of thumb for the the sea animals is that you would want to go for the smaller ones because they bioaccumulate the heavy metals. So things like tuna and swordfish and some people even eat shark, like that kind of stuff, like the predator animals um, from the ocean, at least like they will be much more contaminated with the heavy metals. Um, but even things like salmon are, are relatively low. Um, you know, sardines are, are, are cool. I think, I think oysters like should be something that everyone eats because they're insanely nutrient rich. They're kind of like, it's like, it's like eating like an organ meat, but Mm. just like, it's more tolerable for for most people. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm typically rocking with. What about you? Oh man. Right now, dude, I'm, I'm back on the chicken breast game. I, I was doing shrimp for a while. I just cook it in the air fryer. Like I'm, yeah. I'm all about efficiency. That's why I go to fucking Chipotle is to get a bunch of <laughs> calories in at one point. So now it's like, okay, how can I actually do this and not have it suck up all my time? And right now, my favorite thing is, and I'm sure chicken breast can be suboptimal, but putting it in the slow cooker. Slow cooker on low for six hours, you pull that chicken breast out, and it literally just shreds with a fork. So you, you you pop it in there for six hours, leave it alone, don't have to do anything. The slow cooker goes on warm, so you can leave it there for a certain amount of time. And then you just take it out, you shred it, and then you have a fuck ton of shredded chicken that you can use like at any point in the day. But I yeah, do man, try... You can, also, you can also do that with the, with the leaner cuts of beef. You can get just like a, oh. a chunk of like a roast... Toss in the yeah. slow cooker. Literally, like, I mean, I know you don't have, like, a 9 to 5 like me. But, like, if I wanted to just, like, pop that in the morning and I come back at night, like, I'm, I'm literally, I don't, have to, I don't have to do a thing. It's no work. It's amazing. So, I, yeah. I definitely know what you mean. Nice. Yeah. And so, yeah, aside from chicken, that's only, like, one meal. I stick to, right now, I've, I've been just, like, habitually getting grass-fed beef. So, a lot of grass-fed beef and rice. <laughs> uh some beans one thing fuck i have so much i want to discuss man um let's talk we can keep going so all right uh, let's go (laughs) let's go a bit because we're we 100 have to talk about coffee (laughs) and and, and slightly the breatharian diet but (laughs) okay 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 but but for for now this has also been a question that's on my mind and I remember hearing this in, on, like, the Ben Greenfield podcast, like, fucking years ago. Grains or fiber in general that comes from whole grains. So I heard, and I've, I haven't really paid any attention to this. I eat 
whole grains right now, like when it's an option, uh, usually mainly sourdough if I am eating some form of a grain. But the the type of fiber that comes from whole grains was said to act like razor blades on your digestive system. And that kind of just threw me off. It's like, I've never experienced that. Like what, what's going on there? So I, I you hear people on Twitter or the ones, a, a lot of the ones that promote like a more saturated fat diet, you tend to promote like a lack of whole grains and more so going for, I wouldn't call them simple carbs, but like a little whole grain. So what's your idea on that? Um, dude, fiber is a, is a massive topic and I honestly need to do, <laughs> do more homework on it in general. I do know that the, the razor blade, uh, sort of, uh, metaphor comes from the fact that it's li- like, literally they will put sawdust in oh, certain shit. types of pro- certain types of processed food because it's considered it's fiber. It is considered fiber. But I think oh. that should probably tell you the necessity of getting a lot of fiber. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's that's a little tongue in cheek. But I think no, I think I think. Th- but the thing is, there's so many different types of fibers, and you know, most of the time we're just classifying them as either soluble or insoluble, which is like a decent way of doing it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's kind of like with fat, almost. It's like you've sat. It's like there's not just saturated fat and polyunsaturated fat. There's mono, and there's like. 10 different types of saturated fat that are in the food, more produced in your gut. And the same thing you could say about poly, like there's, there's so many different, like, again, nuances here, mm-hmm. but I would say in general with fiber, um, I don't think it's necessary. Like I, I've dealt with gut, gut issues, unfortunately over the past uh, couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's something we need to get into, but in general, like for and a lot of people, unfortunately today have compromised gut function and, you know, to have the sort of ideology of, you know, you need to like shove like Raisin Bran down there or whatever. Mm. I don't necessarily think that's useful. Um, I think in a lot of cases, if people have problems uh, in the lower GI tract, so, you know, problems, problems with the colon, I think that you would probably want to get food that's as easily digestible as possible. That's mm. absorbed up higher. So, you know, like things like meat. And dairy, eggs, um, and that's why that's why I'm a, a bigger fan of the simple carbs because they're not they don't require like fermentation in your gut or anything. Um, now, in terms of a whole grains versus like a sourdough or something, and I think sourdough is awesome. I'm honestly just like not a huge fan of grains in general because I I think gluten is a serious problem for a lot of people. Uh, digestive wise, I think, um, you know, they, they do have a lot of the, the glyphosate, the, the different grains. I, I obviously think that that can be a problem for, for some people. So, I mean, I don't like, I don't really eat grains. They kind of give my gut problems. Um, but that, that's like a thing. Like, I, I feel like if it's like, if you're in a state of compromised health and you like have trouble processing a food for that reason, because it requires like a fermentation process in your gut. I feel like that kind of tells you something about the food. Um, and again, I'm not anti-fiber. I just don't, I just think that it's probably been overemphasized. The benefits of it have been definitely overemphasized in my opinion. Cause like a lot of people talk about, Oh, you need it for gut health. You need it for your microbiome <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> um, but a lot of those arguments don't hold a lot of water to me. I think, 
what's more important than like nourishing your microbiome because like no one actually knows what that means mm-hmm. like the the whole like microbiome thing is like in such an infancy in terms of like the research that's going on with it like dude we have no idea what's going on there <laughs> like we're just starting to sort of piece this thing together and like you know it is very limited to, so to say like oh you need this for your microbiome i think that's i think that's definitely a reach um, in my opinion. And, you know, we, we have seen plenty of, of people in populations in general that tend to avoid fiber and, you know, they're fine. And, you know, may, maybe they don't have certain microbes, but I don't really care about certain microbes. I care about my quality of life, as you said. So mm. that's kind of my stance on it. I like that. Yeah. I've been thinking about that for, uh, a bit now because like the, I, I, I guess, they're called the evidence-based community. I feel like they're very, they promote fiber a lot just in general, like hit, hit, uh, a 10th, not a 10th for, for every 1000 calories hit 10 grams of fiber, some shit like that, that they came up with. Um, so it's good to hear that it doesn't matter too much because I've, what's up? It's very evidence-based. Oh yeah. (laughs) But uh, like I've, I've gone down both routes. Like I've done low carb. I've never done keto carnivore, but I have done relatively low carb with very low fiber and then high fat from quality sources. And I've noticed, I've noticed like very minimal difference in terms of like brain fog. I think that's the way main way that I attribute the two. Don't know if that's truly a thing. I've heard it is, but like, even now I'm gravitating towards more high carb just because I'm trying to get big as fuck, you know? And aren't we all? Yes. And so that, that's the thing (laughs) that I'm trying to deal with right now is like, what is too much fiber? What is too little fiber? Is there actually something there? Because on days where I forget what it is that I ate, but it just had a metric fuck ton of fiber and i hit like 60 grams and i know like i'm sure you know how that can make you feel like i felt like i was passing a kidney stone man like i couldn't fall asleep it screwed me up and (laughs) i remember one time as a kid because i was following like the advice that fiber is good for you so i had my parents buy me fiber one bars and i ate like three at a time and it absolutely destroyed me dude like i it fucked me up so that's something that they probably use the sawdust in <laughs> probably yeah. or even <laughs> like, that is bad man. yeah i remember <laughs> i remember when quest bars like I, I think quest bars are still a big thing but they have like that liquid fiber in them because i tried to make my own from like a youtube video and you can buy this liquid fiber to put in there and i think that's the main thing that like blew them up is that evidence-based community promoting it because it had so much fiber and the whole iifym community like oh yeah if you just get two servings of vegetables two servings of fruit and you hit your fiber aka look at this fiber one bar that has 17 grams of fiber oh then you're good to eat the rest like whatever you want the rest of the day and i'm sure there's some form of truth i don't know but either way it's it's good to hear that fiber it's definitely not essential like even the evidence is people would not um would not say that it's essential but mm. to be fair i don't think that that 
necessarily means that it's useless. Like, I mean, carbohydrates are non-essential. I would argue that you, for people like us, we would definitely want carbohydrates in our diet. That's definitely a, a net health benefit. So just because something is non-essential doesn't mean that it's, mm. you know, not, it couldn't contribute to good health. I just don't think fiber is one of those things. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, and again, it's, it's difficult to say because, you know, are you getting 20 grams of sawdust fiber? Are you getting 20 <laughs> grams of, of carrot fiber? That's that acts a lot differently. So to say that like just adding fiber is better, I just, I, I just, I disagree with that for a multitude of reasons, but more like mostly just on like a philosophical level, like how can you say that like this thing that's like a very complex issue and affects something like a lot of systems in the body that like we really don't understand that well. And you're basically just extrapolating like epidemiological data, which is useful. I'll say that, but you can't just then say like, Oh, the people who eat more fiber are better off. So we should all eat more fiber. I don't know. I think in that case you need to, you need to be much more critical of the, of the evidence. And, um, you know, and, and like you said, like, it's easy to be critical of something that doesn't agree with your worldview. Cause like, I mean, mm. if I agree with something, I'm more likely, and I, I do my best not to do this, but it's more likely for me to just like read the title and be like, all right, we're, we're, we're good. <laughs> yeah. and then if I read a title that I don't like, then I'm like, all right, like I'm, I'm in the supplementary <laughs> appendix. Like I'm reading through everything. Like this can't be, <laughs> you know, so it's easy to just like sort of dismiss things that don't agree with your current worldview. Mm. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's important to try not to do that, but, Thus far, I really don't see a reason that people need fiber. I mean, of course, if you if you if you incorporate it into your diet and, and you feel better, then then go for it. One thing, I, and I avoid all fiber besides like some fruits. And mm. what I've been doing is the carrot salad. So this is an idea from Dr. Ray Pete that I, that I mentioned before. Um, but essentially, the carrot fiber is a little bit different. And I know this is a bit of a tangent, but I think you'll find this interesting. Um, so the carrot fiber is a little bit different because if you think about like uh, uh, any type of vegetable, so you have like some spinach or whatever, and you like leave it on like out and not in the fridge or freezer or whatever, um, like that shit's going to go rotten like, pretty fast, right? But a carrot is different. Like if you leave a carrot out, a carrot, and I don't like, most people like haven't done this so they don't understand, but like you can like leave a carrot out indefinitely. Like the carrot's not going to go rotten like no matter what. And, you know, if, if I said that in terms of like margarine, like cause the same thing happens, like flies don't go after margarine or whatever. And like, it's a bad argument, but I mean, carrots natural. <laughs> so, and the reason for that is because carrots grow underground. So they need to be supplied with all these different like antipathogenic properties in them. So that's actually one fiber that I have been including, um, in my diet a little bit more is, is the carrot salad because mm. Those types of fibers are totally non-digestible. Like your body doesn't even like attempt to break them down. There's no microbes that ferment them. They literally just pass right through you and um, they drag out like a decent amount of potential pathogens along the way. So that's one source of fiber that I think is, is definitely valuable. But I think a lot of the hubbub around fiber really just comes down to context. Like, you know, people that eat fiber tend to do other things that are probably healthier. So that's a potential reason you know i've heard some people say that fiber helps them poop um <laughs> but i think that that probably just means that you're hypothyroid if you can't poop without fiber because you <laughs> should be able to poop no <laughs> no matter what you're eating um 
but yeah and uh i think i think context is necessary so like if you're if you're like a diabetic which unfortunately like most populations that are being studied like are there or close because that's just the world that we live in now like if you're metabolically unwell and you know having some fiber with your food is going to slow the release of of carbohydrates into your bloodstream so that your body can you know, handle it more efficiently and it's not going to get this huge spike of, of blood sugar that it just can't deal with because you're just metabolically not in that place, mm. then yeah, I would not be surprised that it shows a benefit in that in that scenario. But for someone like you or for someone like me that's like young and pretty healthy, like there's no reason. If anything, we would probably want the carbs in our bloodstream faster. Mm. So that's the way I think about it, or at least. It's all context dependent. But to, I, I really don't like those general recommendations besides the one, the one gram of protein. Besides that... <laughs> everything else like dude i hate when people are like drink eight glasses of water a day mm. get eight hours of sleep like dude how the fuck do you know <laughs> you can't just say that's for everyone like we're all so different we're in different environments genetics plays some minor role but mm. you know we're all so different it's impossible to just give like recommendations like you know for every thousand calories you need 10 grams of fiber like okay maybe maybe he does yeah. I don't think he needs it. Maybe it would help him. It's not going to help me, though. So, yeah. That's how I think about it. I like that. like that a lot. That'll be clipped somewhere. We'll, we'll clip a lot of this. This is fucking great, man. I, I like, I like yeah, your man. takes. We're, we're, um, we're, we're getting into a lot of good stuff. This is, this is great. Yeah. All right. Coffee. Is it time? <laughs> it's time, man. Because right. I am fucking tired of people telling me to stop drinking coffee on Twitter. Especially oh. Joey. Especially Joey, my fucking business oh, partner. Right. But he 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 says I can I, I can drink two cups, so I limit myself to two cups. But I have a few oh, questions. <laughs> a few, few questions. So, is coffee that bad for you? I watched your video. Um, but is it that bad for you? Like, what what's what makes people think it's bad? Why is it not? And I have another question after that. Okay, so why do people think coffee is bad? Well. Honestly, on a more just like a philosophical level, I think that we're taught that like things that are pleasurable are just like inherently bad for you. Like the best example I can give of this is like unprotected sex. Like you're not like that's bad. You cannot do that. And it's pleasurable, obviously. Things like things, food that tastes good. You know, we're, we're taught that like, you know, if you want to be healthy, then you have to sacrifice taste. Of course, that's not true. Um, so I think we just kind of live in a culture where, you know, enjoying yourself is sort of demonized to an extent. Like you're expected to just torture yourself and fucking hate life. And like, you know, so many, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what your feelings are on this, but like, I see like a lot of these people on Twitter and they're like, oh yeah, you can never go out. You can never drink. Like you gotta be like a dick to the <laughs> grind, like all this stuff. And I'm like, bro, like why can't I go out like once every couple weeks and, and, and get drunk with my friends? Like why? If I can yep. incorporate that into an otherwise healthy lifestyle, what is the problem? Like, I don't know. And I think, that, honestly, that's probably a good thing. Like, it's better for you to to do that. Yeah, like, obviously, alcohol is not good for you. But, like, if you have, like, a positive social experience from that, I think that's way more of a net benefit than people are giving it credit for. And tactical, so that's the first thing I would call it. I call it tactical degeneracy. Where, <laughs> like, like, you're very... You, I think the main thing there is that you're very conscious of it. You're very conscious of what you're doing and how it impacts your lifestyle. If you're on the mindless side where you're kind of just like, oh, I'm, let me get, I'm just got home from work. Let me grab a six pack of beer out of the fridge, sit on the couch and drink it every single night. Right. 
doesn't make sense. But what I've noticed is like, okay, if, if I drink heavy, then I'm going to be incapacitated for a few days, maybe one day, like very incapacitated the rest. It's like recovering, but I, I take that into account. It's like, okay, what do I have to do during this time? Does it have, is it going to have a negative impact on the rest of my choices during that time? Is like, do I have to get extremely drunk to have a good time? No. But at the same time, like, I, I don't subscribe to the everything in moderation, um, like, oh, blanket yeah, advice either. for everything. But I do think in the case of, like, alcohol, if it's if you're conscious and you moderate it and you're very mindful of what you're going into it to do, and in this case, amplifying a positive experience, and what I've noticed and why I started to coin it tactical degeneracy is because of the being incapacitated. Like we're on a path where it's like, we have shit to do. We have some form of purpose driven action throughout our entire day. And if I am stuck, especially like towards the end of the night where you're like on the come down, you're like, I need to get back on it immediately. And you're having like good ideas as well because of, what the drinks do you're having good ideas you're like fuck i need to implement this i need to i need to do this this and this but you're also having a good time the next day when you wake up and you can't do it that feeling kind of builds up in you and it's like okay shit time to get back on track like immediately so the next day you wake up and at least in my case possibly in your case it's just like you're back on it you're back on it. You've had better ideas. You had a good experience. You kind of let loose and relaxed and came back better. And that that's the way I see alcohol now is like, it's a tool. It's a tool for like a reset, a reset and having a good time and increasing quality of life to an extent. Totally. Like literally, I pretty much agree with everything you just said like that. That's like that, that that's it for me. Cause I mean, I'll even have people like, Cause I'll like, you know, whatever, if I'm out like talking to people, I'll be like, wait, so like, if you're like super into health and like, why are you like out like drinking like this? And I'm like, dude, that's literally, <laughs> that's a part of it though. Like yeah. seriously, like, I, like, you know, it's quality of life. Like if I can't do that, if I can't like go out and have fun with my friends and you know, even just like be an idiot one night, like literally just go out and like do like dance, like whatever, whatever the hell I want to do. Like if that like is a net positive on my life. Obviously the physiological effects of alcohol, that's a whole different story, but that's not what we're talking about. So, you know, yeah. like you, you need to like weigh cost and benefit. Like that's like, that's, and I feel like it's, this has been totally lost throughout the pandemic is that our lives are constant risk reward analysis, literally. Right. Cause otherwise if it was all about just a risk, then we wouldn't drive. We wouldn't leave our houses. We wouldn't do anything. <laughs> Life is all about risk reward, cost benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, I think that's a part of it. And, you know, a lot of the times, like I'll wake up the next day after drinking, I'll wake up at noon or whatever. (laughs) It'll be like on a day that like, I know I don't have like a ton of stuff to do. Like, you know, I might like do like, do like a little reading or like whatever, like talk to one of my, talk to one of my partners about something, you know, Mm. but like light work. You know, if I have to do stuff like that, like I can do that, like hungover. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, and, and like you said, you're very intentional about it. You know, you don't just like do it like spontaneously, like out of nowhere. You're like, you kind of like have things set up where, you know, you're facilitating that. 
And I think that that is a part of healthy living as well. And I understand that, you know, some people just can't handle it. Like, you know, if, if they start, right. if they start drinking, like whatever, once every couple of weeks, then it's, they just go on a downward spiral and, you know, and for those people, you know, more power to you just excluded entirely. But, you know, if you can include it in an otherwise healthy lifestyle, I don't understand why not. Because I think that the, the benefit of getting out and talking to new people and having new experiences, a lot of things, because, I mean, you could say like, oh, like you, just, you don't have to like drink to do this. But it's like, okay, you kind of do <laughs> like a little bit. And, you know, for the, again, the people that don't want to, don't have to, of course. But like, I think that the, that the benefit of having positive social experiences, having positive life experiences, you know, going to concerts, doing all the things that make life worth living to begin with. You know, if you want to drink and you do that stuff, why the hell not? You'll get back on your stuff. Like if you, but that's the thing. I feel like most people have the experience of, of waking up the next day and feeling like garbage and they don't do anything. And then that carries into the next day and you know, they make it a little bit more work done and that carries into the next day. And before you know it, it's the weekend again, they're drinking. So it's just like a perpetual right. cycle of not getting anything done. But if you can say, okay, like I'm not going to like half-ass, I'm literally going to like get all my shit done until Friday at 6 p.m. And then all bets are off. <laughs> and then, you know, Saturday, Saturday, whatever happens Saturday is fine. On Sunday, I'm going to make sure that I'm locked in and I'm ready to go. Yeah. I completely agree. I don't, see, I don't see a problem with that, you know? Yeah. Now, if you're doing tactical degeneracy, <laughs> if you're doing I'm this with seed oils, that. doesn't That's fucking great. count. But thank you. No. Okay. Uh, back to coffee. Yes. No. That, that, <laughs> that was a whole rabbit hole because I was talking it was a about. Good one. Yeah. No. Totally. I'm glad that we talked about that. Um, but no. The, like, I think that that is a thing in in our culture in general that like we're just we're supposed to like go through pain. Like that's like just a part of it. And like if you're enjoying yourself, it's inherently bad. So I think that that's some of the reason that coffee gets pushed back is because, dude, I love coffee. You love Same. coffee. Everyone that drinks coffee loves coffee, right? It's the most used drug in the world. But that's for a reason. Um, I mean, it, it's it's a productivity hack. It's cheap. And the reason that I like to stick up for coffee a lot is because it's such like a bang for your buck. Like, dude, making yourself a cup of coffee costs like 25 cents or whatever, ten, like probably even less if you buy it in bulk. Literally costs you like five cents. You can just put it on, take a shower, or whatever, come back out, and it's ready. Low effort, low cost, massive benefit. And even like when it comes to your health, people need to understand that like if you're trying to figure out a health problem, and you, if you, I mean, if you do have a health problem, you probably have like little to no energy. Like you know, mm. it's it's difficult for you to be motivated to to think about fixing it. If you can do something like drink a cup of coffee, and you you know get the, get the ideas start going and then you can start to implement, uh, different ways to approach a problem, then that is incredibly valuable. Even if the coffee did have a, a, a net bad physiological effect, the fact that it's allowing you to in the future have a positive effect on your overall life and your, and your health, it's totally worth it. Now I will say there are some studies with coffee that show that they can raise stress hormones. And I think that this is mm. where a lot of confusion comes in. Because yeah, if you get up and you don't have breakfast, you have an empty stomach, and you drink black coffee with nothing in it, you probably will get a, a stress hormone response. I will be the first one to admit that. 
but there's a couple caveats there. First off is that the studies that show that show it with isolated caffeine. So unless you're popping caffeine pills, which most people that I know don't, um, unless you're popping pure caffeine, that's different. Coffee is like a super complicated, you know, array of different components that we're still learning about. And one of the components in it actually inhibits the enzyme called, um, I don't have to nerd out, but it's called 11 beta hydroxy steroid dehydrogenase type one. <laughs> I believe it's a mouthful, but it inhibits that enzyme and that enzyme converts the precursor stress hormone cortisone into the active stress hormone cortisol. So that's a compound that's only in coffee. So if you take an isolated caffeine pill, you're not going to have that sort of break that coffee puts on it. Um, and then even with the isolated caffeine, if you, if you do chronic studies, not just like a one dose, but you do it over a period of a couple days to a week or longer with the same dose every day, you'll see that the, that the response becomes dampened. So that tells you that, okay, if you drink coffee, like once in a blue moon, you might get a stress response, but if you're drinking it pretty consistently, you're going to still have the boost in energy, but you won't have the corresponding elevation in stress hormones because your body starts to adapt, starts to realize like, okay, like mm. this is coming in. We know it's going to like increase our requirement for energy production, but now we're prepared for that. And that brings me to the next point, which is that if you drink coffee, empty stomach with no other food, no other calories, I like to put sugar in my coffee now because I, I think it's just a great pairing, mm. especially before the gym. But um, it's important to provide fuel alongside that because the, the whole point of the stress response is that it takes, it's a sense that you don't have enough energy right now. So this is why starvation is a stressor. This is why exercise is a stressor. This is why all these different things, their main goal is to pull energy from the tissues, from the fat tissue, uh, from the liver, from glycogen. And you know, if you're really in dire straits, then also from the muscle and from other organs. Um, but it's to provide more energy from your existing tissues. Hmm. So if you know that, then you would just say, okay, I'm just going to provide the external energy alongside with that. So yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're waking up and you're drinking on an empty stomach without any other food and you increase the requirements, well, you don't have any liver glycogen, you don't have any incoming nutrients or, or fuel. So then of course it's going to activate the stress response because it's giving the signal that it's an up regulation of the need for uh, metabolism, but you're not providing with, not providing it with the substrate. So that's, mm. I think that's a super key point. So anytime you do something where you're going to increase your energy demand, you want to provide food like fuel alongside it. And that's not looked on positively because a lot of the people that like coffee and like to talk down about it are also the people that, you know, are about caloric restriction and about fasting and about all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't really jive with their whole sort of perspective. Mm. Uh, that's unfortunate to hear, man, because <laughs> we're drinking <laughs> coffee on an empty stomach. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, have I, you eaten today? Have I what? No. Not at all. No, I, I, I tend to, I don't know, I've fallen into the intermittent fasting category without really caring about it. I just... Oh, I forgot. You're you're earlier than me, though, so that kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's only, it's noon right now. So 
close to when I would normally break whatever fast I have. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I normally do. Is there a way around that? Just because I'm curious. Like I do take, this may be bad, but I do take, uh, like right when I wake up, the I take magnesium three and eight and ashwagandha and L-theanine. Like does the does the ashwagandha or the L-theanine offset at all, or do you do you know? No, they seem to all be working sort of in the same biochemical direction without getting too deep into it. Like I know ashwagandha is known to increase like thyroid hormone metabolism. Mm. So they're all they're all increasing those same systems and like magnesium is you know, is needed for ATP synthesis and all sorts of things like that. So they're all working in that same sort of direction. Um, I would just say like if I mean if you're not hungry when you wake up, you can I don't know if you like I've just liked black coffee now, but if you wanna, yeah. you know, have it alongside like some milk and some honey or even some some sugar like i think that that huh. that, that would probably um that might be a better way to go if, if you're putting in like these pro metabolic things then i would say that you probably unless you're like actively trying to lose fat which i don't think no. that you are yeah so i think it would probably be better to try to get in um some some fuel alongside with it interesting i'll have to try that yeah man that, let me know how it cool. goes yeah that's cool all right. Yeah, I'll try that tomorrow. I'll see how it goes. Because uh, like I, I heard something the other day too about like stimulants on an empty stomach not being the move. And I'm like, fuck, another thing? <laughs> another thing that I'm doing? Just shit. But no, that that's not too big of an issue to change at all. That might even, I may enjoy it more. Who knows? Uh, I still have a lot. Okay, fuck the breatharian diet. I want to talk. <laughs> Nobody needs to know about. Don't even, don't even, don't even, don't even talk about it. We don't need to talk about it. It's on a different planet. Butter. Keto carnivore? What the? <laughs> Haven't you heard of the breatharian diet? It's like knocking Come on someone's man. door. Hey. I mean, if some caloric <laughs> restriction is better, then I mean, just not ever eating has to be the best thing possible, right? <laughs> yep. It's like the the breatharian witness. They're, we're going to start knocking on people's doors and going, hello, have you heard about our Lord and Savior, the breatharian diet? We have empty houses with no furniture or anything. We just, <laughs> we just absorb. Photosynthesis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. So to the the final topic of this, I don't know too much about this, but one big overwhelming issue that I would like to at least discuss. We don't have to come to a conclusion here, but serotonin kind of in general, but in in terms of like lifestyle choices and depression, lifestyle choices and depression, how they play a role together. And the, the one thing that bugs me, but I, I can't say anything on it because I don't know anything about it, is people seem to hide, and I use this word lightly because they've been told this, but they hide behind the whole chemical imbalance argument. And when I hear that, it's like, okay, I understand that, but I also do understand that everything in your fucking head is a chemical and everything you're doing at different times in the day is creating some form of chemical reaction, kind of, I don't know. But what what are your thoughts on this in general? Just lifestyle related to depression, is there like an overwhelming problem with like diagnosed depression and 
natural depression, like natural occurring depression, if you would call it that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, so I would say I would say this. Genetic determinism is it really annoys me because I think it gets to a very slippery slope where we lose personal responsibility. Um, mm. And I'm also very empathetic towards the people that have struggled with mental health issues mm-hmm. um, because I understand, like, I mean, I've struggled with my own health and mental health issues in the past. Um, and, you know, it's it's a constant battle. It's never like, okay, well, I did it and, like, now I can just ride off into the sunset. No, it's something that you need to consistently do every single day in order to ensure that you're that you're feeling good otherwise it can be it can you know you can go to a really dark place and you know that's obviously something that you can avoid but the problem that i see is that yes it's marketed as a chemical imbalance and it's marketed as oh like i have depression rather than saying i'm currently chronically depressed and there's a very big difference between those two things Saying that you have depression puts that label on you, essentially, and then the the logical next step from there is then concluding that it's inescapable, mm. and that you know I have depression. There's you know there's nothing I could do about it. It's from my genes. You know my doctor said I have depression based on nothing. By the way, if any other field of science or medicine, as much shit as I give modern medicine, at least when they diagnose things, most of the time. They have some blood work or something to back it up. With depression, I could literally go to a psychiatrist, say, hey, I'm feeling really sad all the time. They'll give me a couple questions. I'll say, okay, well, I'm going to assume that your serotonin is really low. Mm. And I'm going to say that you have depression. And uh, here you go. Here's some Prozac. And uh, that's going to be it for me. So, I mean, (laughs) any other field of medicine would never tolerate such a low level of rigor that happens in psychiatry. And it's a serious, serious problem because depression and anxiety are so prevalent, especially among like young people our age. I mean, cause I feel like the boomers, <laughs> they kind of like, they kind of have the mindset of like, Oh, like you're just being a pussy or whatever. Like stop being like, mm. stop being depressed. Like everyone gets sad sometimes. And it's like, okay, but that's not what it is. Like, it's like a deep, like not wanting to like not having any drive to do anything like not like not enjoying life or not being literally like in the, the 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 most depressed one I ever was was literally like I would get up in the morning and I would literally just be like I cannot wait to go back to sleep like tonight that would be like the mm. first thought in my head and like that's no way to live um but that's like what it really is like it's not like oh like I get sad <laughs> like that's not what depression right. is um but in terms of in terms of it, the lifestyle aspect of it, I mean, look, I would I would be considered an extremist, but I would say that it's a lifestyle disease. <laughs> I mean, plain and simple. There's there was one study that said that, um, and again, I don't want to say the study said it, <laughs> but it showed the data s- displayed that ninety percent of depression starts from a stressful event. So that can tell you a couple things that tells you, okay, well, there's a reason. Number one, it's not just in your genes. And two, it's related to stress somehow. And if you ask 
any depressed person, they're also going to tell you that uh, they have symptoms of what's called anhedonia. So they don't want to do anything. They don't want to, they, they lose their appetite. They don't have sex. They don't want to exercise. Um, they basically, they, they just want to do nothing. Like they, they have no uh, dopamine, <laughs> which right. is the, uh, it's a reward chemical, but it's really a chemical of, of, uh, of motivation. Mm-hmm. So uh, things that are dopaminergic, coffee, um, are also things that oppose serotonin. So I think that's like one of the easiest arguments to make right there is that dopamine and serotonin have a very, very well-established um, relationship that it's like, ser- like more dopamine signaling is less serotonin signaling and vice mm-hmm. versa. So I don't know. Oh, where, wow. I, mean, I do know where it came from. I don't have to get into that. I have a whole 30 minute video on the whole story about why serotonin became, you know, the poster child for happiness. Um, but it's not. And ser- and if you actually like look into these different aspects of uh, depression and how they relate to serotonin. So like one, like one of the things I just said is like you lose sex drive, right? That's a big thing. And that's facilitated a lot by dopamine. So there's one drug called bromocryptine, which is a dopamine agonist. So basically it has similar effects to dopamine. It acts on the same receptors. And that drug is used in Parkinson's disease, interestingly enough, because there's another hormone called prolactin that dopamine also has a relationship with. And prolactin has been known as the hormone that um, regulates your ability to have an orgasm. So basically what happens during orgasm is since prolactin, and I'll I'll bring it back to serotonin, trust me, Mm. but (laughs) prolactin- I think I know where you're going. Yeah, prolactin tends to spike when you have an orgasm and in a healthy person it drops like really down to low levels. Um, and your ability to rebound from that determines what's called the refractory period. So basically if you're a guy, how fast you can bust again after you already did. <laughs> Prolactin is what is thought of to be one of the main hormones that, that uh, facilitates that. And dopamine agonists like bromocryptine are used to treat infertility and um, just like loss of interest in sex in general, they're pro sex agents. And, you know, a lot of people don't like to talk about sex. I think that everyone should be talking about sex in the health space because it's one of the best barometers for your overall health. I mean, if your body is giving you the signal that it's not time to reproduce right now, there's a serious problem going on Mm. period. So I'm not saying that you should be like irrationally horny. Like you shouldn't just like look at you know, uh, a cartoon and start like beating off. Like, I'm not saying that that's obviously on the other spec- side of the spectrum, <laughs> but you know, you should be responding to the proper stimulus. You should have a robust sexual health in that sense. And the reason that I'm bringing up all of this is because like I said, dopamine agonists, drugs that promote the actions of dopamine are used to facilitate sexual behavior in people that have no interest even promoting fertility and serotonin is literally this like uh, reciprocal reciprocal relationship with dopamine so it doesn't really make a lot of sense for people to think that you know serotonin is happy you can't separate happiness from your sex life I, I can tell you firsthand the problems anytime I've had a problem in my sex life it has made 
my whole life way worse and vice versa. If I'm having a oh, shitty yeah. day or whatever, it's going to affect you in the sheets. hundred percent. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Right. But that mm-hmm. just goes to show you the properties of serotonin. It's very well known that like, if you like administer serotonin to animals, like they literally just stop having sex. Like they're just not going to do it. And that's mm. another, that's, that goes along with anhedonia, you know, um, in animal experiments, it's been shown that serotonin promotes anhedonia. So anhedonia is like the loss of pleasure. And that's, you know, mainly a function of dopamine. So when people talk about, uh, serotonin being happy, I think that the clearest example of, uh, serotonin's, <laughs> let's just say not happy (laughs) properties um, is its relationship with dopamine because everyone knows that dopamine feels good. Everyone knows that everyone's drank a cup of coffee and been like, wow, okay. Like I'm feeling good. Like, let's go. Everyone's had that feeling. Everyone's, you know, had a sexual attraction, had the feeling of dopamine. Everyone knows what that feels like. Just think that serotonin is literally the opposite of that in the body. Um, So the whole SSRI thing, and I addressed this at the end of my video and I don't know if you've seen it or not, but um, it, at the at the very end, I talked about why some people do in fact uh, have success with SSRIs. So um, there's two main there's two main ways. One is that basically in every study, like if you're taking uh, SSRIs short term, you're gonna feel like shit initially. Mm. But sometimes it's like if you're on them for long enough, you will start to feel better. I brought this up to multiple people who have been on SSRIs and they're like, yeah, you know what? That's true. Like the first couple months of like being on Prozac or whatever, like I don't even like remember anything from it. Like it was, I was just like in like this like haze, like it was awful. And like, that's the thing. Like they were like serotonin is one of these things that like lowers consciousness. So like they didn't even like realize how bad things were back then. But now they're like looking back on it like, whoa, that was bad. Like, um, but yeah, so chronic SSRI treatment. So long-term you'll actually, the body will have a response where you start to produce more serotonin because it senses that there's the, um, or sorry, other way around. Your body starts to produce less serotonin because it realizes that there's this, basically a toxin <laughs> that's making you like have more serotonin signaling. Um, so it rebounds by producing less. That's why you'll see that over a long period of time, but not over a short period of time. And then second, it, these SSRIs, and that's the thing, like with these, with these sort of drugs, when you get into pharmacology, it's really important to keep things into perspective because a lot of times a drug will be labeled as like, oh, like it's, it has this one action. But in reality, like, dude, if you're introducing a foreign chemical to the body, it's not just going to have one action at one receptor at one, in one tissue. It never works like that. It's always broad, uh, broad spectrum. And SSRIs are a perfect example. So you, they were synthesized so that they were selective. Like in the brain, they would increase serotonin. But it, it took decades later for us to realize, oh, they also happen to increase the synthesis of a neurosteroid called allopregnenolone, which is a metabolite of progesterone. Um, and that, that uh, steroid is incredibly important for a multitude of brain functions. It's actually used now as a treatment for postpartum depression. So I'm not, look, I am against SSRIs in general. I think they're given out way too easily. Like I said, I think you know, they're generally bad, but I know people and I'm sure you know people and I'm sure people listening to this have no people that, you know, they owe their life to it. And they say like, you know, it did help me a lot there. And there's plenty of people that say the opposite. Like I, I was on it. I fucking hated it. Like I immediately went off and I felt so much better. 
but there are people that benefit from it. So, you know, but it's not <laughs> literally, it's the only drug that I've ever heard of that works, that like has a benefit because it does the opposite of what it's supposed to do. And that's, that's serotonin and, and depression in, in, in my opinion. Um, but the, the, there's not really like a, a genetic basis for it. So the fact that people are led to believe, unfortunately, that, you know, it's just like, you just have it. You're just born with it. And that's all you can do. That's just, it, it really, that's like what annoys me the most is that, and that's like what I try to communicate in the videos, Twitter, in real life, like whenever I count is that, you know, we have the power to change. You know, you mm -hmm. can, you can change your life. Like, you can start to feel better. Yeah, like people know you can change like your looks. Like, yeah, I can like lose fat or whatever. But there's so much more to life than that. And you can literally change your perspective on your life just by the choices that you make. And what those choices may be is gonna differ from person to person that all that I and you know people like us can can help people do is not to tell them what to do, but to just say like, hey, here's here's an option. If you're interested, you know, you can you can look more into it. And like that's what I look at myself as. I don't I don't try to tell people what to do. I just say like, if this sounds like something that, you know, uh, could be a benefit, then you know, give it a shot. Um, there's no harm in doing it, and that's that's kind of my approach to things because I think that the state of being told what to do and thinking that there's no way out, that's the most dangerous state to be in. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. Nice, dude. That was beautiful. That was really good. <laughs> I think a lot of people will get a lot out of that or at least spark curiosity to dive into it a bit more. Like even one of my, the biggest things that I promote, I guess, to myself, I should probably do a better job at putting this message out there, but is like not denying that curiosity. Like if you get curious by anything here, I think you can attribute a portion of your success to this is just being fucking curious and actually doing something about that curiosity. That's what leads to everything else. Like if I wasn't initially curious about something that I heard in the grapevine, probably my dad picking up P90X or something. Like if I didn't see that and I was like, hmm, is that actually a good way of doing things? Curious. And so I go and I look up and it just took me down a rabbit hole of everything that I could go after. It got me into the gym. It got me eating better. It led to probably led to all of this. So a message that I think is very prevalent here is actually pursuing whatever curiosity we sparked in you during this podcast. Don't take I mean, take some of what we say at face value, but don't take all of, <laughs> okay, never mind. Don't take anything we say at face value. Actually pursue and go and look these things up and spark conversations with us, spark conversations with the online world about this. Don't argue and all of that shit, but have productive discussions related to the topics that we talk about here. If it did spark that curiosity in you to change some portion of your life to achieve a higher quality of life. Yeah, and you know what? I think that's I think that's so important that people understand is that, you know, there's a million different people on the internet trying to tell you what to do. Um, but what I and what I think Dan uh wants more out of you is to just provide you with the option, with the information. Um, because ultimately you're gonna know what's best for you. I'm not gonna I, I all I can hope and, and Dan can hope to do is provide you guys with more information going forward so that you can 
make sustainable changes. That's something that's not talked about enough because there's so many people just saying, do this, do this, do this. I'm so interested in how can you make people make those changes? Because I can tell, I can tell like uh, an obese man, okay, just go on like a hundred day fast and you'll be, you'll be sad. <laughs> go on the like breatharian he, diet. Yeah, literally join, join the breatharians for like a couple months and you'll be straight. But in actuality, like what's more important is understanding what creates sustainable habits and what creates, you know, what fosters that change. Mm. Love it, man. Well, dude, this was a fucking killer podcast. I really enjoyed this. I'm probably going to listen through it myself. I listened through some of them, but not like in depth. So I'm excited to get this out. This one will probably go live in next week, next Monday, not this coming Monday. So next Monday, uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. Tell the people where they can find you and where they can pay you because nuance doesn't sell. So we have to tell them where they can pay you. <laughs> oh my goodness well first of all i really appreciate i really appreciate you having me on you know you didn't have to you didn't have to pick me i know that you have a much bigger following than than we do uh at the moment so you know it means the world it means the world for us to to get more exposure like this but uh so we're we're on youtube at analyze and optimize you'll see that logo um and you know like i said we make we make videos about all this type of stuff and you know we're, we're just getting started we have we have so much stuff to talk about i literally have a a note uh, on the notes app on my phone, yeah. I have like a hundred plus video ideas. It's just, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. Um, moving forward guys, like I feel it coming. So it's, it's, it's exciting. So, you know, join us for the ride, analyze and optimize on YouTube. And then on Twitter, we're analyzing and optimize, but the at is out doctrination, kind of like, indro- like indoctrination, <laughs> but out, I know very clever. <laughs> um, but that's going to wrap it up, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Got you. And for those listening, like, seriously, check out their YouTube channel. Links will be in show notes and stuff, but it's really fucking well done. It is very oh, well done. We, we, have, we, have we have a Patreon as well. You can see that on the, on the Twitter and on the YouTube. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll probably so put that want, in the show notes, too. If you want to me a few bucks, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I appreciate I you it, so man. much, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks. My friends, thank you so much for listening to that episode of the Modern Mastery Podcast. I have a few favors to ask you. For a whopping $0, you can support this podcast by following, rating, and subscribing on whatever platform you are listening on. And for an additional $0, (laughs) you can share this podcast on your social media accounts. Tag me in it, at thedanco. And I will share you on the community page. This truly helps the Modern Mastery community and podcast grow and allows me to bring you top tier guests to fuel your hunger for wisdom. It costs $0, but it does cost you your time. And we understand how valuable that can be. But considering you spent an hour or so listening to this podcast, a one minute subscribe or follow button click and social media share isn't too much to ask. And if you truly enjoyed it, um, we would hope that you do this out of the kindness of your heart. And we truly, we truly, truly, truly appreciate it. And the second favor, which costs money, is joining Modern Mastery HQ, the only platform you need to master your mind, body, and spirit while building a 5 to 10K 
a month online business as a creator, coach, freelancer, or entrepreneur. You can go to join.modernmastery.co to join 350 plus members and gain instant access to information that has the potential of making you hundreds of thousands of dollars over your lifetime as a business owner. With that, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Modern Mastery Podcast, and I hope to see you in the next one. Peace.